So we have spent seven weeks reading seven letters written by Jesus himself to seven churches in seven different cities. His pattern has been to affirm them and say, you know, I really like this about you. And then he next diagnoses them and says, this behavior is causing destruction in your life. Then he corrects them and says, here's the healing that you need. Here's how you go about it. And then he says, here's your motivation to stay healthy. If you do this, you'll, you'll get to this place. And so I've encouraged you to, to download the podcast if you haven't been to some of these messages and, and join with us and hear how much Jesus loves us and why he would send us letters. You say, but wait, 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 wait. These are letters he sent to small groupings of people in the first century in cities that I would never visit. Why is that important to me? Well, understand that these seven letters are packaged within this book called Revelation, where Jesus Christ, the one who walked on earth in all now his glory after rising from the dead, has connected with one of his followers named John, who is in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And John gets to see him for the first time in this incredibly glorified state how he was before he came to this earth, now in a glorified body, and to see how they worship this one, this one, the Son of God, who is part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the letter begins, if you ever read it, the letter begins with a declaration of who he is in all his glory. Immediately thereafter are these seven letters saying, these letters are from this one in all his glory, so you better listen to what he tells you because he wants you to be healthy because you need to be healthy to face what may be coming up ahead of you. And then he tells us about what's going to happen to the end of the world, and he plays out to the very end. And so I want you to hear why we need to listen to what these letters have said, because as he begins in the beginning of Revelation, he says in Revelation 1-3 this, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. And then he sends letters to the church. Then he gets to the end of what's going to transpire, and he says this, Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. There it is again. Blessed are those who wash their robes, which means they're cleansed by Jesus, that they might have the right to the tree of life, eternal life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You may have seen, and I've seen around town, this sticker. If we can show it to you here. You seen that? Coexist. And, and the reason it's interesting, it's, in fact, show, yeah, it has major religions, Islam, and the peace sign, and the male and female sign, Judaism, Wicca, pagan, Taoism, Confucianism, and Christianity coexist. And so understand that Jesus did say to us that we are to love everybody regardless of their culture, their lifestyle, their, their material possessions, their economic status, or their familial connections. He said, I, I want you to love them as Jesus did. Absolutely, you've got to do that. Show each person respect as a created being of, of God himself. But he goes to this book of Revelation to also reveal the bottom line and that this is true, that understand that in all of this, 
Jesus is Lord. That really is, whenever you're reading the scripture about the gospels, that is the gospel, that is the good news. News, Jesus is Lord. No other God is Lord, and Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. That there is no power greater than Jesus. No power greater than Jesus that's above ground, on the ground, or below the ground. And that Satan is real and alive. And his, his, his choice and his passion and goal is to usurp the authority of Jesus and destroy all that Jesus has created. It is this Jesus then who comes to us and all humanity must make a decision as to where they stand. The book of Revelation makes it clear to us that you either stand with Jesus inside the city that he will create where we will live forever or we stand outside the gate because there can be no blending of Jesus and other things. It can't be Jesus and Tao. It can't be Jesus and and Islam. It can't be Jesus and possessions. It can't be Jesus and multiple sexual partners. It can't be Jesus and, 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 and. Jesus said, it's just got to be me because he is what we were created He is the one we were created to be with forever and ever. And so we have a choice. Where are we going to stand? You say, well, how do I know where I'm going to stand? Well, again, he said, as blessed is he who keep the words of this prophecy in this book. It's that simple. How many of you like simple things? I love simple things. It drives me crazy when I go get something and the instructions are just yay long. So I call Lee Dennett and say, interpret this for me, and while you're here, put it together for me. And he does. I, just, I, I love simplicity. Did you, did you hear a couple weeks ago about the corn maze? And corn mazes are out right now because it's Halloween time. And, and the family that got caught in a corn maze and had to call 911 to get out. Did you hear about that? Amazing. See, mazes are not simple. So my wife, and now I'm just going to give you this qualifier, my wife, who is blonde, (laughs) sent this to me, so blame her, but here is a corn maze for blondes. (laughs) If you're blonde, come see Pam. She'll explain it to you. I'm sorry. That was bad. That was so bad. Honey, I love you. Uh, I'm eating alone today. Okay, so Jesus says to us, let, let me give you your maze, and it's simple. Life is not this complex. And we've used this phrase before. God left his place to come to our place, to be with us to take our place by dying on the cross and all of our sins being placed on him to take us back to his place. That is it in its simplicity. That this Jesus, because he loves us so much, in order to keep us from attaching ourselves and loving other things or other people other than Jesus, comes to this earth and takes our pathetic and our offensive ways toward God and other people and places that on himself and separates himself from God because that's the penalty when you sin. You get separated from God. So he does it. That's why on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in that moment, Satan unleashes and exhausts all his weapons, all his power, including death, at Jesus. Jesus fights it off, rises from the grave, and as a result for those who put their faith in him, he removes the penalty of sin and the power of sin so that we in the future can walk into that city that is described in Revelation, that he has created for all of those who will be with him forever and ever. And in that moment, we are now also released from the presence of sin. And that's why he wrote these letters. So that we could live in this freedom. In fact, he, he, in writing to the church in Galatia, he said this, it is for freedom you have been set free. Don't go back to that bondage that you were once in, but walk in this freedom. Live with the end in view. You see, if you look at your life right now, it tells those who observe your life what you think the end result is going to be because we always work towards our end result. So what would your life right now say your end result is going to be as you are working toward it? The last city to receive a letter from Jesus is the city of Laodicea, which is about... 40 miles southeast of the city you studied last week, which is Philadelphia. It is near a major, a major uh, commerce road, a transportation highway. It's in the Lycus Valley, and in addition to being the judicial seat of the province, it is also the center of the banking industry. It is a very, very wealthy city. In addition to its banking, it has this wonderful manufacturing. They make wonderful carpets and, and garments out of wool that comes from black sheep. And they're very well known for that. They are so financially off that in A.D. 60, a lot of the city was destroyed by an earthquake, and Rome came to them and said, do you want a governmental bailout? We'll give you money. And they said, no, no, we don't need your money. We're fine. And they built out of their own finances. Oh, God, we wish that would happen today. It was also a center of, of healing. They, they, they worshipped this god, the serpent god, Ashlepus. And, and so they had this, this ointment and, that, that they would use for ears and this powder that they would use for the eyes called Phrygian powder. They were well known for that. So it's to this city that Jesus writes these words. Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, to the messenger, the pastor in the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you're either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What's scary about this letter is that he does not even take time in his rush to diagnose them to say, I like this about you. He says, I've got to get right to you and tell you what's destroying you, and here's your diagnosis. You are a sickening poser. You are not what you pretend to be. In 1985, Pam and I lived in Salem, Oregon, And I had some really good friends who worked for a financial institution, and I would go visit them periodically during the week. And so one day when one of my friends was out of his office, I played a practical joke, and I basically just toilet papered his office, just made a mess of his office. And he laughed and then said, but I will get even. So the months went on. I forgot all about it. I was visiting them one day, and 
and didn't recognize that he had slipped out of the office while I was, while I was there. And I realized that the, the time was short and I, and I had an appointment and I needed to hurry back across town to the church where I was serving because I had a really important appointment, so I didn't have much time left. So I came running out of the office only to discover that as I ran to my car on my jet black bumper, he had glued, glued a bumper sticker, fluorescent lime green. And it said, party till you puke. <laughs> I tried to get it off. I couldn't get it off. I was going to be late. So I, a pastor in the city, had to drive through city with party till you puke on my bumper. Then I had to park in the pastor's parking spot at church. There was a conflict of identities there. Jesus says, you're acting like you are religious and you are spiritual, but I want to tell you that on your bumper should be this sticker that says, you've partied till I puked. You ever, you ever have that sense? Earlier you saw a thing and you got hungry. Now I'm going to get rid of your hunger right now. Did you ever have that feeling that you were about ready to hurl? You get that you ever had that feeling, the urgency, and you don't have time to talk to anybody? You've got to get someplace where you can do what is was about to happen? That is the intensity and the sense of this letter. Jesus said, you are making me ready. The word actually is vomit. I'm getting ready to vomit. What has made him so sick? Well, first of all, it's because of this. They have failed to recognize that our posture before him should always be holy fear. Our posture should be holy fear. I want to show you some actual pictures that come from the NBC News of folks in a haunted house called the Nightmares Fear Factory, and just watch the shock on their faces. Look at this. That's not one of them, that's me. (laughs) Do you know why we are fearful? If I can just put it simply, it's this. It's the fear of something you think can harm you and you can't control it. So what's the fear of God? It's the understanding that without his love, we'd be in really tough spots because of what we really deserve, and we can't control him. The one that could open up the ground and swallow us, the one that can command planets to be in orbit, the one who can say, stop breathing and we stop breathing, or breathe and we breathe, that one, if it was not for his love, we'd be in horrible condition. And so that is our fear. So you understand how how he loves us. If you study Jesus, who represents God, because he is God, he always is rooted in everything he does in love. Mercy is his leading edge. And then he presents the facts. To the woman that was caught in adultery, he started with love and mercy, and then he said, and by the way, don't sin anymore. To the woman that he met at the well, 
He said, I'll give you something to drink that will last forever. And then he said, and by the way, I know that you have messed up all your previous relationships, and now the guy you're living with is not even your husband. You have a messed up life, but I'm here to take care of you. Jesus deals with us that way. Jesus comes to us first in his love, and he extends his mercy, and he says, now let me tell you who you are, and that needs to change, so get yourself in my love so I can do this for you. I want to take care of you. To go outside of that love would be incredibly foolish. So that's what Jesus represents. He is the amen. He is, he is the, the true and faithful witness of what God is saying to us. Paul the Apostle would, would tell us in, in, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he would say this, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, which means amen. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. He said, if you look at Jesus, that is all that God wants us to know. Look at Jesus. God cannot be anything other than what Jesus is. And Jesus comes in love and mercy and says, this is who I am, but here are the facts, so stay within my mercy because if you walk outside my mercy and love, you put yourself in a dangerous position. So I've come to show you my mercy and love. And these folks in Laodicea were abusing his love for they're not staying within it. Staying inside his mercy is holy fear. When we stay in that mercy, we are declaring a holy fear of God. When that happens, what transpires in our lives is that our living then becomes a hot pursuit. Seven miles away from this town of Laodicea is the, the hillside or the hill city of Hierapolis. Hierapolis is well known back then and even today for its hot springs. I think we have some pictures of, of it right now. That's, those are the hot springs at Hierapolis. I think we have another one there. You can see how, how big they are. So the waters from the hot springs would flow down out of Hierapolis and go into the water system and make its way into Laodicea. But when it would arrive, it was no longer hot, but it still was not cold. It was very, very lukewarmish, and the, and the, the taste was very insipid. It just it was repulsive. If you drank it, you'd want to spew it out. So when Jesus said, eh, the springs, the water, you see it, that's you. And they understood because they've tasted it. And he said, that's the taste you're leaving in my mouth this holy one of God, this representative of God, this creator, the one that put it all together, the administrator of creation. He said, you're making me sick. You claim Jesus is Lord, but you don't live it. You claim Jesus, but you don't love him. You carry the membership card, but your life obviously does not have real faith or true discipleship. You do not have the heart of Jesus. It's described very well by Francis Chan, who wrote these words, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sins. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. They're posers. They are not passionate, passionately in love with Jesus. Remember when the rich young ruler in the scriptures came to Jesus and he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, well, 
here are the things you need to do. And Jesus repeats a lot of the Ten Commandments. He says, I do those things. And Jesus said, but there's one thing you have to do still. One thing. I want you to take everything you own and I want you to sell it and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Because right now, you're lukewarm, buddy, because it's Jesus and all the stuff you can get and it's just got to be Jesus. And he couldn't do it. See, all of us have to wrestle if we're following Jesus with the fact that he will come to us on periodic times and he will say to us, you got me and, me and, me and, and what I need to tell you is I need you to do this one thing. You got to get rid of this. So would you, would you right now in your mind, would you see a tablet of paper and there's a pen right next to it? Would you in your mind write down that if Jesus was saying to you, I know you're following me, but there's this one thing. Would you write it on that paper right now? Just see it, write it there. What is that? Because it boils down to this. An expert in religious law came to Jesus and he said, how can I have this life that you've promised that God wants to give me? And Jesus said, well, tell me what the law says. And he repeats this, Luke 10, 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. See, we flesh that out here, meaning this, that we are a community passionately intent on revealing Jesus. That revealing of Jesus first starts with our personal relationship with him in loving him with our whole heart and then collectively loving him with our whole heart, which includes this, doing that thing that you just wrote on that paper in your mind. That's loving him with our whole heart. That means dealing with the one thing we need to do. And the folks in Laodicea wore the Jesus Jesus badge, but they didn't really love him the way that he wanted to be loved because they trusted him a little, but they trusted a whole lot in what they could collect in addition to Jesus. And so Jesus responds this way. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Circle that word, wretched. It's a very specific word for a very specific moment. The word wretched actually means for you to have amassed a wonderful fortune, but to have lost it all either through theft or just the results of warfare. He said, you think you have the stuff, you think you have the bank account, you think you have the position, you think you have the relationships, you think you have the the house, you have the mortgage, you think you have those things, but I want to tell you, you really don't have those things because they're being removed from you, and when they're gone, what do you have left? I want to show you a picture, then tell you what the caption is. The caption reads, Thou shalt never irritate a woman who can operate a backhoe. (laughs) Let me say you should never irritate a God who knows how to operate a divine backhoe. 
because he will remove the stuff. He said, you think you are rich, but you don't have what you think you have. You think you can see, but I'm telling you that you're blind. And you think that you're clothed nicely, but you are naked. So he says, let me heal you. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and do what? Repent. He said, the correction is this. I want you to have authentic salvation. Gold was a great, a great piece of the wealth of Laodicea. But let's be honest. When you read the description of Jesus' world and the city he's building, gold is so common that he uses it for asphalt. So what he's talking about is not the real gold. What he's talking about is gold refined in fire, which means really that which is created in his image. Because they would take the gold, they would put it in the crucible, they would turn the heat up, and all the impurities would come to the surface. When the impurities would hit the surface, then the artisan would remove all of the impurities. And the way that the artisan knows the gold is pure is when he looks down into the gold and sees his perfect reflection. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive only that which reflects Jesus' image. So the relationships that you're in should reflect Jesus' image. What you do at your job should reflect Jesus' image. How you work at work should reflect Jesus' image. The entertainment you involve yourself in should reflect Jesus' image. What you watch, your favorite television program, should reflect Jesus' image. The movies you watch should reflect Jesus' image. How you live your life should reflect Jesus' image. He said, I want you to take that from me because that is the way that you will find my love. And and they would walk around with these gorgeous garments made from the wool from these black sheep. But it could not cover their shame. You remember back in the garden, if you ever read about them being in the garden, Adam and Eve, it said they were naked and not ashamed. Which means that there was this glory of God that covered them, so all they could see was the beauty of God and not their nakedness. And when they sinned, suddenly they became ashamed and tried to cover themselves. We do the same. We try to cover ourselves with our really good jobs. We try to cover ourselves with a a bunch of sexual relationships. We try to cover ourselves. We try to cover our shame with with how we present ourselves and our popularity. We try to cover our shame, but I'm going to tell you that Jesus is saying, only I can clothe you in a way that will cover your shame. So so take that from me, he says. And he said that Phrygian powder, the ointment for the ears and that powder for the eyes, I want to tell you that you really don't want to see yourselves because you don't think you can fix yourselves. So I'm going to let you see who you really are. For this reason, I want to fix you. I love you that much. You see, Jesus does not reveal to us the painful ways in us so that, that he can make us feel bad about it so that he can condemn us. Paul said, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He says, I want to reveal that to you so that I can heal you, so that I can tell you how to fix that. He said, that's why I discipline and rebuke those people I love. Those he loves, he disciplines and rebukes. Those who don't love him, he vomits. 
He said, that's why I need you to repent. I need you to go back to what is right. Because if you do that, here's your motivation. You get royal parking. You see, when when Jesus died and rose again, the Scripture tells us that he ended up at the right hand of the Father, which in their symbolism means the seat of authority and power. So Jesus comes and sits at the right hand of the Father, and then here's what he says to us. He says, now, here I am sitting at the right hand of the Father with power and authority, but this is really a big seat, and so I want you to come and sit with me. What that means is I want you to share my authority and my power. You get to do that. He says to them in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You see, inside the gate, in the city, we rule. Outside the gate, we suffer. And the day will come when we'll say, I wish I was in there. See, some of us in this city, here in Erie, really like the stuff we have. So we really don't want to put our trust in Jesus because we're afraid he's going to take that because Jesus said it's just going to be me. And so we, we have power and authority and we have the stuff we need. And so we hang on to it. But the, the deal is this, you're already losing it because you think you're rich and you're not. You think you can see, but you don't. You think you're clothed, but you're still dare, carrying your shame. He says, you got to let go of that. Because if you don't, the day will come when, when what you have will seem like it was only an eyelash of time compared to what God had planned for us. And, and those within the city will say, oh, we're sharing his authority and his power. We're with him. We're enjoying him in the city. And there are those outside saying, no, I wish I'd have gone in there. Because it was just a glimpse of time that I had the stuff I thought I needed. I took my parents two weeks ago today on an emergency trip down to Virginia. They were visiting with us, and we got a phone call from my Uncle Robbie, who I've shown you some pictures and explained to you about him before, uh, POW in Vietnam for seven and a half years, a Korean war ace, really a hero. And so he's now 86. And the effects of the torture he received in Vietnam is beginning to take its toll on his 86-year-old body. He's dealing with dementia. He doesn't remember much, and especially anything about Vietnam, all of that is blocked out now. He doesn't remember much about family, and, and, and so his wife, Dot, has to just be with him all the time. And so my parents were scheduled to go see him the next weekend, and, but they got a phone call saying, you need to probably come now if you're going to see him because we just came from the doctor, and they discovered he has cancer in his ear and it's down into the bone. One of the, one of the men who tried to help get him out of the prisoner war camp and all the prisoners was Ross Perot. And when Robbie came back after he retired as a general from the Air Force, he worked for Ross Perot for many years doing the Texans' war on drugs. So they're friends. And Ross Perot heard about it and said, I need to fly you back to the best cancer hospital in Houston. And they said, we're not sure when that's going to happen, so if you're going to see him, you need to come see him because they're afraid that if they do surgery, he won't make it through the surgery. So we went down there, and we weren't really sure how, how it all was going to unfold because Robbie's got dementia, and my dad's dealing with dementia. And it's really it, it's sad, but it's kind of funny when you have two brothers who have dementia trying to figure, remember things. And, and so they, they, they recreated history. We listened to them do that. But it was really cute. We pulled up to their, their place they're living in, and, and 
my dad got out of the car, and my dad knows who Robbie is, and he's still, my dad's just in the beginning stages of dementia. And we weren't sure how Robbie was going to do it, and it was really sweet. They came out, and Robbie just stared at my dad for a moment, and he said, you're my kid brother. And it was just a really good moment. So we went in to their house, and we walked back into Robbie's den, and in this room are all his awards. And you can see it at the screen there. That's all his medals. And and picture of him, and there's a sword we think that was used to knight him somewhere. And he's got pictures of famous people, and you know he was a Korean war ace, and 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 he's just he's he's very been affluent because of what he was received as a result of that. And so he's got all this this stuff, and and we're just amazed at all the awards. But see, the, the issue is this: that in these later years, that's all passing him by. It's just, just all zipping by. It's, it's, it's like it's just not even there anymore. And so we're, we're, we weren't sure where, where he was going to be in this process, and, and, and we think he's grasping this idea that, that it, this cancer thing is pretty serious. And it's interesting that as 86 and all that he's gone through, that when you meet him and you watch him walk, he still walks like he's wearing the uniform. He's got the posture of a general. And I watched him walk around his neighborhood, and it's like he's taking inspection. The reality of this is that he's walked his many years knowing that Jesus was taking inspection of him. You see, when he was shot down, just weeks before he was shot down, he said to Jesus, I'm pretty lukewarm, and whatever it takes to get me hot for you, do it. So as he was floating down and the Vietnamese were running to capture him, he looked up to the canopy of his, of his parachute and he looked at him and said, I understand. And for seven and a half years, he never asked God to remove him from the prisoner of war camp because he knew he was there for that reason. The God was making him passionate and hot for him. So now he's walked this life and, and all the good stuff. And he, you know, he'd love to play golf. In fact, he used to live in an Air Force retirement village, but he moved to the Army one. We couldn't figure out why until we found out later that it's because the Army had better golf courses. <laughs> and now with the dementia, he moved to be closer to family. And, and so I'm thinking, what's, what, how is he processing this thing? And, and as all this stuff is going by, what's the final thoughts that are in his head? What's he living for? And so Pam and I and my mom and Aunt Dot were, were seated in one room, and Robbie and my dad were in the other room trying to remember things, and suddenly Robbie just broke out in song, just, just boom, just came out. And it identified where he is in his future. Because he began to sing this. Some glad morning... When this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I understand that here's a Pentecostal boy who now is a Baptist, but it all came flying out at that moment. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. 
I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. See, the question is this. Are we inside the gate or are we outside? Are we in hot pursuit or are we posers? If they look at our lives right now, what will it tell them about what we think our future will be? Is it time to repent? Because Jesus said, here's my promise. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me and understand the meal he's talking about is the main meal of the day, the one reserved for intimate fellowship with the closest of friends. And Jesus is simply saying, I'm inviting anyone who wants an authentic conversion to Jesus and wants to let go of a fake life, come to Jesus now and enjoy what he has to offer because he would rather love you than spew you. What is your choice? In the reverence of this moment, now I'm going to ask you to stand and not to move. Just stand, if you will, and not move out yet. Some of you in this place may say, oh, wow, because I think I'm the lukewarm person. Or I really realize now that that I want to put my faith in Jesus. I'm not sure how to do that, but I want to. Jesus says to you, behold, I stand at your door and I knock. And if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you as an intimate friend that will last forever and ever. So I don't want you to leave here without the opportunity to begin a step of faith that says, I, I want to I walk that journey with Jesus. I'm not even sure how to do that yet, but I want to do that. I want to come home and, and, and I want to be with him. I don't want it Jesus and because he doesn't take it that way. I just want Jesus. And we want to begin you on that journey. So before we go here, can we do this? We're, we're community. We're family. We are a community that reveals Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to turn to the person next to you and just say to them, would you like to come to Jesus? And if that's you, say, yes, I would. And when you say that, the person who asked you is going to invite you to come with them and you're going to stand right here. We're going to pray together and begin that journey. We're we're not going to single you out or embarrass you. But we want to begin that journey with you so that you know the path to take. And so you may not know the person next to you, but that's okay. Because this is the most important question we could ask in this world today. So whether you're in the balcony, the galleries, the main floor, or even listening out in the lobby, would you just turn now to the folks around you and just say to them, would you like to come to Jesus? If they say yes, come just stand here with me. Okay, do that. And don't, don't go out the back doors. I don't want you to distract anybody. Okay, do that. Just turn to each other. That means you have to actually look at each other. Do that. Just say, would you like to come to Jesus? And just come stand with me right here. Come on. That's it. Come on. That's it. Yeah. Come on. Some of you said, you know, I, I said no because I'm not sure what you're going to do. And now I wish I would have said yes. Just turn to the person and say, yeah, yeah, that's good for me. Don't be embarrassed, guys. Come on over here. I'm really a nice guy. Anybody else? Come on. 
So with these friends who are here right now, I just want to say to them and, and to the folks that are that are out there that said, you know, I, I wasn't sure. We're going to pray a prayer in a moment that's, that's Scripture. And it's a declaration of putting faith in Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to pray that with us. In fact, the entire congregation is going to say this just as an encouragement to you as you begin this journey. So let, let, let's pray that together. Would you say it after me? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for you promised that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. You also promised that as I put my faith in you, you'll make me a child of God. So I declare that I am your child. Now guide me that I might live a life that will please you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray a blessing on you, and as you're going out, remember today that you are to reveal Jesus wherever you go, which means if you go to a restaurant, Jesus would really tip well. So bless those people and bless the people around you. Now, may you, as you walk with Jesus today, discover his great love for you, that he leads with mercy rooted in love. And may you do the same for others, that they will see Jesus in the life you live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.